Welcome to the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour. Driven by Sanderson Ford. Your weekend wake-up tradition. It's Rosie on the House. On this beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, welcome to Rosie on the House, your Saturday morning tradition for 31 years. If you were waking up on this week, 165 years ago, 1884, President Franklin Pierce, 14th President of the United States, ratified the Gadsden Purchase. It became effective as of June 30th. 1854. The reason for the purchase is we needed more land from Mexico, even though we had gotten the territory from them in the war. Right. Uh, we decided later we needed more. I think what I would have done instead of paying for another 22,000 square miles or whatever it was, I've been like, uh, you know what? Uh, sorry, we sent you the draft. That's not the final version of the territory lines. <laughs> Oops. And it turns out here's the borderline, because remember we won the war, but no, we bought it. <laughs> we bought the Gatson Purchase. Uh. It gave us the land we needed to complete the rails through to California and the Pacific Ocean. We needed that flat territory across the right. that's southern how, border. That's how the railroads were built. They, 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 uh, it was kind of like water, the, the, the point that of least resistance is how they built the railroads. And they're getting a new point of interest, a point of entry in Douglas. Last week, the Cochise County Board of Supervisors unanimously approved a preferred site development that's seven miles from the city center. Their current one, the Rural Castro Port of Entry, was built in the 1930s, and as you can imagine, our needs are a little different than they were 80 years ago. So I wonder if the structure is still holding up that well. <laughs> I haven't been there. You know, this is one of those rare times where we have a staycation in a town of Arizona. I have not been to, but we're going to have an interview a little bit later in the hour with uh, the event coordinator for Douglas Days as well as our uh, Joseph, who was our staycation winner, who stayed at the Gadsden last week. The border town of uh, Douglas, Arizona, has been the uh, highlight of our April Arizona staycation. Next month, it'll be Catalina and Catalina Foothills around Tucson. And we actually have a guest right now who's not far from that area because we're getting close to the big horse race of the year. And regular listeners of the broadcast know I've been working on a series of horse broadcasts that I wanted to bring to the listeners just uh, one, it interests me. I think it's a fascinating topic, and there's so many different uses, uh, and and the horse is such a part of our history that uh, it doesn't get, I think, the current credit and highlight it needs to. But we're going to jump ahead. I was going to start. Uh, you know, I'm very meticulous and detailed and uh, you know, chronologically and placed, and we were going to start with the history of the horse, but we're going to jump straight to horse racing because the der Derby's coming up, and what you may not know is Arizona is home to a racetrack industry program at U of A in Tucson, and we've got director Wendy Davis on the line to tell us about the racetrack industry program right here in Arizona. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on. And you are the godmother of this program, and you've been there since day one. I have been almost the whole time. Uh, there were a couple years in there that that I was out working uh, away from the university, and but I was one of the one of the first through the through the program. So uh, there's there's a lot of institutional memory here. When did the program start? 
We started in 1973. It was the brainchild of Jack Goodman and a number of his friends who looked at racing and, and were real visionaries and said, you know, this, this sport, uh, this business is really growing up. It's getting a lot more complicated than it was in the old days. And they felt that there was a real need for an increased opportunity for education and really the need for um, the curriculum that was based in a major university. And why U of A? Well, they looked, I think, at a number of other areas in the country, and those that fit the parameters, which had, they wanted uh, a land-grant school, they wanted a state that had um, thoroughbred racing, quarter horse racing, and at the time we had greyhound racing in our state, and they also didn't want it to feel like it was just a, a school for people in Kentucky. You know, everybody thinks about racing and the first Saturday in May at Churchill and all the breeding is also in um, centered in Kentucky. They wanted it really in a, in a neutral area. So it was really an educational program for the whole country. And as it turns out, we have international students that come here also. How many students do y'all have any given year? We have between 25 and 30 at any given time. We have a lot of students who come as second-degree students or transfer students. So we don't have uh, all of our students a full four years because they come in with quite a few credits. So we have a lot of, of students who are here for, you know, a year or two and move on, and then we get the next next group in. And what does the curriculum consist of? I mean, is it just all about horse racing? Um, you know, I, I'm really trying to wrap my head around uh, you know, the, the fact that you can't, uh, there's no other racing college. <laughs> there's not like NASCAR racing college or anything else like that. But the, the horse industry is so complicated and complex, it warrants a whole degree program. Exactly. So along with the general education courses that you take, to earn the Bachelor of Science degree, we have a, a cadre of courses that are racing specific, racing law, how to um, how to manage racehorses, and how to manage the business, oversee the wagering, oversee the marketing, oversee um, the management of the of the facility as far as the backstretch because. Most racetracks and, and almost every thoroughbred track has this huge barn area. That in and of itself is an entire uh, entire business, just making sure that everything there um, is, is managed. So we have those classes that are very unique to the racing business, especially the racing law. Racing is one of the most regulated sports because of the gambling aspect. Obviously, that landscape may be changing with the uh, now the the advent of more sports wagering, but we'll we'll see how that shakes out. Well, but, it's definitely more regulated yeah. than the championship game the Saints lost, right, Gary? Yeah. <laughs> you had to bring that up again. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. 
so and we do train the the racing officials so the horse racing version of the guys in the striped shirts we help train those those folks here so i i watch the those games and and when referees make interesting calls i i tell my husband now we wouldn't have made that mistake in horse racing <laughs> but they we've got really two kinds of of students those who are are more interested in the business side, the management, the marketing, the wagering side. And then about half the students are far more interested in the hands-on horse part. They'd like to be breeders. They'd like to be trainers. Uh, They'd like to be bloodstock agents. So after everyone takes our racing-specific classes and also a group of basic business classes because we have to face it that you know, business really runs everything. The student either does additional business courses or goes more down the path of a traditional equine science um, curriculum where they'll do nutrition and reproduction, um, some more horse handling type courses. So with with all of that um, that breadth, we can really prepare our students for whichever direction they want to go. They're also all required to do an internship. So that's where we get them hands-on opportunities in whichever direction they choose. And we find it's really interesting and rewarding that a lot of folks come into the program and they may not have a, a real understanding of what all is available out there. So they come with a mindset of, I want to do A. And by the time they're done with school, they found out that there's B through Z, <laughs> and they may have changed their path path totally. But that's what's that's what's fun to to have people find their passion in the sport. And I was excited to bring this uh, topic to air, and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. Nobody knows about it. Uh, this hasn't been covered, and we were going to be the first to cover this in a long time until I opened my May edition of Arizona Highways, and there you are on page 10. I thought they were thinking the same thing we were, but I don't mind getting beat to the, Arizona, to, to the press by Arizona Highways. Interesting article there, and it talks about the, uh, the hands-on side of the equine centers getting ready to move. We are. The, um, the university was gifted a beautiful horse farm out on the northeast side of Tucson, and it's the former home of Almara Arabians and a, a lovely facility, almost 100 acres, set up to be um, a, a facility to, to breed and train racehorses and also has a lot of, of infrastructure that allows it and, and really um, is, is set up to teach. And Mrs. Tankersley, who owned Almara, was a, was a, a huge proponent of education in no matter what area. And um, I think she'll be very pleased when she sees, uh, sees the program moved out there. Well, you talked about internship later. After the break, we're going to talk about all the opportunities because uh, anybody may think, well, what, what is there other than Turf Paradise? Well, we'll talk about those things along with 
uh, all the different industries that revolve around horse racing in Arizona, and a little bit of the history. It used to be a lot bigger than it currently is, and some of the famous horses and some of the famous horse breeders and, and names around the horse industry that all have come or have ties back to Arizona here at Rosie on the House. More with Wendy Davis right after this. Now the race is on and here comes pride up the backstretch. Heartaches are going to the inside. My tears are holding back. They're trying not to fall. My heart's out of the Time for our Arizona State Park Passes giveaway. True or false? Text T. If you think it's true to 411923 or F for false, same number, 411923. In the 1950s, the Marinci Mine was the largest mine in America. True or false to 411923. And we'll send you two day passes to Arizona State Parks that come with parking pass. Could to any one of the 35 Arizona State Parks. Into our conversation with the Race Track Industry Program Director, Wendy Davis out of U of A, talking about, uh, I want to know more about the internships that the, you know, you've got 20 to 30 students. Obviously, Turf Paradise can't take all those internships. Are we shipping them out of state? We are. We send them all over the country. One of the wonderful things about racing in Arizona is that we can race all winter. One of the terrible things about racing in Arizona, and especially Phoenix, is we really don't race there in the summer because of the heat. Most of our interns go out during the summer. It is just due to the racing schedule that we need to send students out all over the country. We have a great application process, and we actually encourage the students to let us know what their dream internship is. What is it you want to do? What is it you want to learn? And then we go out and find those internships in at either racetracks or, or in any of the other ancillary industries or at a farm We also have a number of people from the industry requesting interns, and the neat thing is we have more requests for interns than we have students to go out and fill them all. So there's a real support from the industry for our program. We've got one internship this um, coming up this summer that is is really unique, and it is from the United States Trotting Association, and that's the organization that oversees harness racing. Their breed registry, and also within that same organization, they oversee the rules and regulations of racing for that type of breed. They are going to take in an intern and show him everything about the internal workings of how a breed registry works, how horses get registered. Then they're going to talk about all of the other things that goes along with being leaders in any industry, which is legislative issues, lobbying. They're going to take him to Washington, D.C. when they they talk to the legislators. They're going to take him to major their major races over the summer so so he can see the marketing side of a major sporting event. It's just going to be an amazing opportunity. The industry really appreciates students and that they have such a passion when they get done with school. They're ready to hit the ground running and really, uh, really make a difference. 
Now, we've got Turf Paradise. What other horse racing facilities are in Arizona? They run basically fall, winter, into the spring. Rito Racetrack is here in Tucson. It's a very historic little track. This meet here is just, um, it's about six weeks. Some years it might be seven weeks, but basically 12 racing days over six weekends. One of the, the neat things about Rito is known as the birthplace of quarter horse racing. A lot of the, the gentlemen who were the, the founders of the American quarter horse breed, which is the largest breed registry in the world right now, but it only started in 1940. It has just grown by leaps and bounds and overtaken numbers from all the other breed registries. A lot of the gentlemen who who started that were based here in the Southwest, and they had a hand in in creating Rito. The first quarter horse track, though, was was in Tucson, and was called Hacienda Multaqua, and started out on a on a gentleman's ranch. Some of the, the listeners in Tucson might recall a restaurant called The Tack Room. At one point, was one of the few five-star restaurants in the country, much less in, in Tucson. And that's where that original quarter horse racetrack sat. It was there for a couple of years and then, and then was moved to where Rito uh, track is right now. Really interesting and exciting news for racing in Arizona, Prescott Downs raced from 1959 to 2000, and then 2000 moved out to Prescott Valley, raced for a while, went to 2010, had some financial issues, but I'm really excited to say that they will be opening for live racing over the Memorial Day weekend this year, so we will have racing in Arizona in the cool northern part of the state this summer for the for the first time in many years. And just really quick, the difference between quarter horse racing and thoroughbred horse racing. Quarter horses are like the the um, the funny cars or the sprint the sprint racers. They specialize in races that are under half a mile long. The thoroughbreds are more the IndyCar racers. They they are the horses that specialize in the in the races that are a mile or a mile and a quarter. The longer races, what you would think of when you think of the Kentucky Derby. A little more horsing around right after this. The answer to our trivia question was false. It was actually the second largest mine in America. So if you texted false, uh, watch your phone. You could be receiving a notification that you were the lucky winner. We'll get the address, and we'll drop those tickets in the mail to you for any one of Arizona's 35 state parks. That is a huge mine in Marincy. You're telling me it was only the second biggest? And that was in the 50s. It may have later. I don't know. It's it's but Marshall Trimble's book didn't go into that detail. It just said in the fifties. Marshall's not much of a miner anyway, but uh, he's a good guy. (laughs) As we cover Southern Arizona, uh, Tom Reining, the man who moved the Rangers to Douglas, broke up a notorious family of cattle rustlers in the Douglas area using silver. 
The Taylor family was known to go take calves and put their brand on them before other ranches around could brand their own calves. So what uh, what Mr. Riding did is he got out there ahead of them and put silver dollars in their gullets so that when they came back to be sold to the market and he pulled the silver back out, he could prove these weren't your cattle. Uh. When they pulled the silver coins out, they were given 24 hours to leave the territory, which was a pretty light sensing wow. considering the time. That sounds like an episode from Bonanza. You know? <laughs> a little bit of Arizona history that we like to bring you every single week that revolves around whatever part of Arizona we're featuring that has to do with wherever our staycation focus is. And our focus for this hour has been the racetrack industry program with director Wendy Davis out of the U of A program. And Wendy, we can't talk horse racing and and get out of this segment without talking about Bob Baffert. That's right. I think he is by far our most notable graduate. He uh, he was one of the, the early graduates from our program. He's a, a Nogales native, started his, his horse racing career on the fair circuits at Rideau, um, was a jockey actually for a very, very short period of time. I think only his father would have him ride his own horses, but he was also a, a quarter horse trainer, won his first race back in 1971 at Flagstaff when the track ran during the summers, and he won his first thoroughbred race in 1979 right here at uh, at Rito Park in, in Tucson, Arizona. And I guess the, the rest, they say, is history because he went on to... to bigger and better things and is one of the probably the most well-known horse trainers not just in in North America but around the world for having trained two triple crown winners at a time when I don't know if we'll ever see another triple crown and yet Bob came up with American Pharaoh in 2015 and then Justify uh, last year in, in 2018 and he has three horses that are pointed and eligible for the Kentucky Derby this year and all have a have a huge shot. They're ranked second, fourth, and fifth in the three year olds in the country as of as of right now. So it'll be exciting to see if Bob can do it yet again. And he probably was the reason that I started wanting to do a program on horses. It was after his uh, the second winning of the Triple Crown. I thought, you know what? I want to get him on for an interview. I, I'm going to assume you've seen the movie 50 to 1. Yes, yes, absolutely. And Bob actually plays himself in that movie. He does. <laughs> He's a great character. <laughs> and he plays kind of a little bit of a jerk, but I get the feeling that was a little bit of Hollywood, and he's a lot more uh, playful than his character allowed him to be in that movie. Absolutely. There there was a lot of artistic license there. It, it makes for, uh, you know, for a good, a good story. It tried to play up the, you know, the little guy from, from the dirt track and the, and the big guy. But for a lot of us, we know that Bob appreciates the little guy from the dirt track because that's him. In fact, there's a, a biography about Bob, and the title of the book is Dirt Road to the Derby in Dubai. So he certainly remembers his days, and, and I've heard him speak fondly about his time at the tracks in Arizona. Well, we'd love to get him on the broadcast, and we've not been successful in scheduling that yet, but I'm glad to hear that uh, 
my theory about his personality was true because I hear the quotes that he says and I watch him uh, when they show him celebrating. I'm like, there's no way he was that jerk and that, that he was in 50 to 1. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they just had to give you something to talk about in that movie. Yeah. So as, in addition to Bob Baffert, um, we've got the Kentucky Derby coming up and you've got a few uh, caveats about the histories and traditions around the Derby. We do, and this is known as the run for the roses. And I was thinking, well, why Why is that? You know, what's so special about a rose? Way back in 1896, there was a decision to put some sort of decorative drape on the winner, and it turned out that it was a garland of roses. Back at that time, it was white and pink roses, They did it for a couple of years, and in 1904, they decided that roses should be the official flower of the Derby, and it became the Red Roses, and that's been tradition ever since. Another tradition, the singing of My Old Kentucky Home, and everybody in the stands and almost, I think, everybody at home who's watching the Derby on TV gets a little teary-eyed as they sing along with my old Kentucky home. And that started early on, but not as the official song as the horses came on the track. It's interesting that it was just played sort of intermittently and really didn't become the official song until probably 1930 or so when the horses went to the went to the post along with the mint juleps and i i have to say boy it's it is tradition and everybody should have one in their hands but <laughs> you don't really have to drink it <laughs> even the mint lays over and dies but if you're really a diehard go ahead and see if you can get to the bottom of it they pack a they, punch they do what's what's really interesting and what i think is sometimes lost on folks as far as the the Kentucky Derby is that, as the song goes, it's the chance of a lifetime and a lifetime of chance because the Derby is strictly for three-year-old horses. And so you could have a great racehorse, and it was a great racehorse as a two-year-old, or it may become a great racehorse when they're five or six or seven, but the Derby is restricted to just three-year-old horses. So that's what so many people point their horses to. Of course, it's it's everyone's dream, I think, who's ever bred or owned a racehorse to to be there and see your horse in the race and then watch the the roses be draped over their neck. But that is just one day and one point in time, and that is the only chance you have to be the Kentucky Derby winner. That's what makes it such a thought-after race to win. It's really something very, very special. A All tradition the stars have to line up. That's 150, uh, excuse me, 145 years old this year. That's it, yes. And it yes. sounds like, you know, you're training like an Olympian because some, some Olympians train for four years and they have that one shot to get the medal. Now, there's also a couple other movies that are pretty famous, uh, Seabiscuit uh, and Secretariat. Which is your favorite horse racing movie? I think it's probably Secretariat, probably closest to the truth. All the others are certainly um, certainly accurate for the most part. You know, you have to make it interesting. 
But uh, Penny Chenery, um, also Penny Tweedy in the, in the movie, was such an amazing woman and was really, just as she was portrayed, she really went into what was previously a man's world and said, I can do this. A, a real stalwart in racing until her very last days. There's actually, at the very end of the movie, when they show Secretariat winning the Triple Crown, she plays herself in the crowd, which was, which was wonderful. But she was, was truly one of the first women to step forward and, and really make a name for herself. And one other little note, since we're pulling everything back to Arizona, in Sonoida, at the crossroads of Highway, oh, I should know the numbers. I think it's 83 and whichever goes the other direction. There's a, a steakhouse. 82. A, 82, that's it. And, and a couple little things right there on their back corner. There's also a building that looks like a big barn. Well, Penny's sister lived in Sonoida. And that barn was actually built to look like the barn that Secretariat lived in. And for many years, unbeknownst to many people here in southern Arizona, the Triple Crown Trophy and all sorts of Secretariat memorabilia was right there on that corner in Sonoida. <laughs> and you, you put John Malkovich in anything and he steals a show. It's a Disney produced and they've got the... E the, the the proper equation for touching all the heartstrings and the lead in that Diane Lane is Lori Darling She's which terrific. is from Lonesome Dove yeah. which is our family's favorite movie and so. I'll let you in on a little <laughs> Hollywood secret that was shot in my hometown in Lafayette Louisiana ah, wonderful <laughs> so alright so is that it is is that the official vote for horse racing movie Secretariat Secretariat gets my vote alright <laughs> Wendy Davis, if somebody was interested in the racetrack industry program here, right here in Arizona at the University of Arizona, how does where's an application? How do we get started on an application? Well, if they want to go to our website, they can get my contact information and a lot of information about the university in general. And the website is ua r t i p dot org. So uartip.org. Wendy, thanks so much for your time this Saturday morning. We may have to get you back after after May 4th. You know, the following weekend maybe just to follow up to the Derby and get your thoughts and impressions on what the what you saw at the race and uh, maybe some takeaways that, you know, us the average viewer doesn't get from somebody who's got as much experience in the industry as you. I would love to come back on and spend spend any Saturday morning with you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Joining us on the line now in our Arizona Staycation Hour, where we are featuring the town of Douglas, Arizona, all month long. Our staycation winners last week stayed at the Gadsden Hotel in Douglas, and we'll be hearing from them a little bit later about their experience. But we brought in the Leisure Service Manager and Special Events Director for the town of Douglas, Arizona, Miss Jennifer Smith, to talk about Douglas Days coming up. Jennifer, thanks for joining us this Saturday morning. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Jennifer Smith, your City of Douglas Leisure Services Manager. 
and special events director for the 2019 Douglas Days Community Event. When, when is the Douglas Days event? Douglas Days will take place Friday, May 18th and 19th of this year. We're about a few weeks, about three weeks off uh, from the event. So we've got time to put that on our calendar. Where will it be held? At Raul Castro Park in Douglas, Arizona. And what uh, what can I experience attending the Douglas Day Festival? Oh, it's a wonderful community event. It's a family-friendly, uh, free event for all ages. And it's actually our sixth annual event. Uh, back in 2012, uh, Mayor Danny Ortega initiated this event. And his vision was basically to celebrate the many reasons why we call Douglas home. It's a celebration of Douglas's past, present, and future. And it commemorates the day Douglas was incorporated, uh, which was May 15th of 1905. And I'm looking at the flyer um, that y'all have, and it mentions hay rides, talent show, vendors. And I like this. Uh, what, what's the horse race? Oh, so this year, the Cochise County is having their, they brought back their horse races. So that'll take place on Saturday the 18th from about 1 to 5 p.m. So a little bit of rundown of the days that you're looking at. Uh, it's two days of fun and uh, just tons of activities, a celebration throughout the entire community. Uh, for both days, you have a variety of food, food vendors, talented craft vendors from local local craft vendors to those that are outside the community informational booths and a beer garden on friday the event uh actually kicks off with an open ceremony followed by our douglas days talent show and our talent show is probably one of the favorites we haven't had it so this is our sixth annual event and we had the talent show we started it about our third year and it's probably been one of the most popular uh parts of the the show because we have just Talent from all ages, from dancing to uh, to music to you know just different kinds of things. So it's 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 a pretty amazing uh, little show, and that's that's about two hours after the welcome ceremony, and then Saturday Saturday's festivities. It's basically all day from ten to ten. Uh, we start out uh, with a. Um, our Douglas Days Parade at 10 a.m., followed by our bed races. And if you haven't seen any bed races, this is just one of the other funnest activities that we have uh, in the community. The bed races are also one of the most popular things that people uh, call about. They, they, they actually, I've had some calls from outside of uh, Cochise County wondering if we're having our bed races in our Douglas Days uh, event because they wanted to make sure that they secured their hotel stay and whatnot. So it's, it's a just exactly like it sounds. It's each team pulls together, and they have about four runners and somebody on the bed with a with a twin mattress, and they race down the the street right next to the event. So it's pretty it's pretty amazing. It's, it's fun as well. And a website that people could go find this information. Our schedule should be up at the end of this week, and they can find that at douglasaz.gov. Thanks for spending time this Saturday morning to help educate our listeners a little bit more about the town of Douglas. And uh, that would be a great weekend to mark on your calendar, May uh, 17th and 18th, for your Arizona staycation. Jennifer Smith, thanks for your time this Saturday morning. Thank you. Hope you guys come and visit us. What's been most fun for me about covering Douglas is that's a town I have never been to. It's one I've seen. The city lights at night, uh, really quite a fascinating place, but 
I want to hear it from the point of view of Joseph Oliverio, who was our staycation winner and stayed at the Gatson Hotel last weekend. Joseph, how was your Arizona staycation to Douglas? Oh, yeah, it was great. Well, for me, anyway, it's one of those kind of out-of-the-way places that, you know, I probably wouldn't have visited normally. Usually I'm heading, you know, up north to get out of the heat. So it caused me to go down there and see things that uh, I would have never experienced. And, and just the history of that area is, is really incredible. The history is incredible. Uh, what did you think about the Gatson Hotel? It sounds like a, a place of destination worth the trip. Oh my gosh! I mean, if you go to Douglas, uh, if you don't, if you don't go to the Gatson Hotel, you, you haven't, uh, you haven't really experienced Douglas. I mean, uh, that is like to me the, the heart and soul of Douglas. Uh, the uh, the owners uh, that uh, have it now, uh, they've only had it going like a few years, I think, and they are, you know, putting their all into this place and investment and just, you know, they're working all the time. To, to bring it back to, you know, the, the grandeur that, um, you know, it, it had in the past. And they're doing a, you know, a great job. They're just the nicest people. Um, uh, Florencio and uh, Anel Lopez, they're just like fantastic people. And uh, they actually gave us a tour. I mean, uh, Anel spent an hour with us uh, touring the, the hotel, uh, you know, Places that you, you know you wouldn't normally see as a guest, you know, unless uh, you went on the tour there. And I, if you know, and you can, um, you know, by appointment uh, go on these tours. And you know, I would you know highly recommend that. It was really fabulous. And so you stayed at the Gaston Hotel. What else did you do while you were in Douglas? Okay, you know, unfortunately, you know, it, it was a holiday weekend, and, and some of the That's right. um... and we, we didn't <laughs> yeah. know that when we picked the date. 18 yeah. months ago sorry <laughs> sure that's okay i mean we, we we didn't run out of things to do i mean uh of course we didn't just stay in douglas you know since we were down that area we went to uh bisbee you know which uh is like kind of the opposite of douglas in a way it's kind of a uh you know bustling tourist uh touristy uh area but it is that is really fascinating as well and then uh, we also you know had to see tombstone on the way back all right so now the big question what were you driving Okay, we had a uh, Ford Fusion uh, from Sanderson Ford, and uh, John Pratt was was real nice, and uh, you know got us set up in that car. And you know, I'm used to driving a pickup, you know, and uh, driving a nice sedan like that was you know a nice change. You know, we we enjoyed the car very much. I had to think about this, but I bought my first vehicle in 1974 from Sanderson Ford. <laughs> I had to think back, you know, but. Uh, it was a Ford F100, which they haven't made for a long time. But, um, yeah, they're, they're great people down there. Great people and been in business a long time for that reason. They uh, just like to treat their customers right. And if you'd like to win your Arizona Sanderson Ford staycation, you can go to rosieonthehouse.com slash travelaz. We're taking entries right now for a lake staycation coming up this summer to Lake Havasu, enter by May 15th.